0: Okay, we're walking through the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be in Philippians 2 today. I think this is the last sermon in Philippians 2, and so we'll move on. You want to know what's next? Three. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you're right on top of it. Um, we were singing that song, It Covers Me. It's a sweet song. The only thing I could think of was pollen. Uh, it's like it's everywhere. It does cover us. I mean, it's just all over the place. Um, I've heard of, you know, follow the yellow brick road. Well, everything's yellow around here, so it must be like Oz. It's just really, really yellow. Okay, we're going to talk about um, the journey of life a little bit today. And uh, if unless you've been living under a rock, you know that United is in a little trouble because they relocated a passenger, all right? Uh, they had to relocate him. And sure, they drug him by his feet, and he was bleeding from his mouth. But other than that, it was all good. Now... One has to assume they may have been doing him a favor. Follow me. Follow my logic here, okay? Have you been on an airplane lately? I mean, they pack you in like you're those biscuits that you pop open. That's what it feels like. I was on a flight once. Um, Have you ever had, it's like ecstasy and agony kind of all at the same time. I, I, I was on a flight and it was full. I mean, full, full. And there's, I'm on the window seat, there's one empty seat in the whole plane. You want to know where it was? Boom. I mean, it's like the, the, the gift of God, right? The one empty seat was beside me, and I'm kind of spread out a little bit, you know, I'm kind of good. And they're about to close the door. I know they made, you know, last call and all that stuff. And, and there I am sitting next to the, if I'm lying, I'm dying, the one empty seat right there. And then I see a fellow aboard the plane. He was the largest human being I have ever experienced in person in my life. Very, very He was super nice, but large. And um, there was only one place for him to go, right? Right here. So... <laughs> I, I flew. I, I'm glad it was a short flight. I think it was about an hour and a half. But I basically flew like this the whole the whole flight. So flying isn't all that great. I, I remember on this one flight, I asked the lady, uh, the the stewardess, for um, a, a bag of peanuts, and she said, "What well, do you think you're in first class?" I'm like, "No, I I want a bag with those seven peanuts in it." I mean, it's really not that great. And the last one I was on, have you been on one of these where everybody's coughing? Everybody's coughing. It's like you're You just know you're. It's like you're in a flying petri dish. You know it's bad. I've got a solution now. If you run with this and make money, I'd like a cut. I don't want a lot. I'd like a percentage. This is a big idea that you should take on Shark Tank. I mean, it's that good. Have you ever been to like uh, Disneyland or Disney World or what's the one in Florida? I can't remember. World. In Disney World and like at Kings Island where I used to grow up, you know, up in Cincinnati. it's an amusement park, and because it's so hot there, they have misters. Have you ever seen those? Where they kind of mist out some water, and, and you walk through that, and it makes you uh, feel better. I think they should have those at airports, and they should be misting out hand sanitizer. That's what I think. So when you get off, that's a, that's a million-dollar idea. So you run with that. I'd like just a little cut. All right, now, some trips are better than others. That, that's kind of the point of the, the intro, is that, We've been on good trips and we've been on bad trips. And we've, been, we've taken good road trips and we've taken bad road trips. Most of us that have lived life know that it can be good or it can be bad. And there's something to be said for understanding you can make the most of your journey. It has a whole lot more to do with your attitude than the situation. And so Paul writes this letter to the Romans. And let me remind you, he writes it while he's in prison, chained to a guard 24 hours a day. They rotated those guys every four hours. So he's, he's with somebody different, like, all the time. And, and, you know, six hours a day, he has, is that right, six times four, 25. yeah, uh, he has a new person six times a day, all right? So it's not like the circumstance was good. And here's what we do. God wants us to know that we're to enjoy life, not to just endure it. Even though circumstances might not be good, you're still, we still have the choice to enjoy life. It's our choice. We choose. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to be depressed or we're not going to be frustrated, but we choose. Sometimes we choose to stay in our frustration or to stay in our disappointment or to stay in our depression. And I understand sometimes it's chemical and it, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we have an attitude that just says poor pitiful me. Because here's the truth. We shouldn't confuse happy circumstances with a joyful life. Now, Paul, we're, Paul wrote the book of Philippians. He also wrote the letters to Corinth. And, and this is what he says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly when I'm weak so that Christ's power may rest on me. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. There's this this notion out there. There are even people who preach that God wants us to always be healthy, and God wants us to always be wealthy, and God wants us to always have good as we define good. And yet, Paul, who was arguably the greatest christian who ever walked the planet had difficulties and he says i delight in my difficulties because sometimes the most memorable things in your life happen when you're having difficulty our family you may know this we like to hike we hike when our girls come in we hike they were in for easter we took a couple of hikes we love it we like to go to waterfalls and that sort of thing the hikes we remember the most are the ones that were most difficult just how it works. We took one Christmas Eve, we've affectionately called now, this last Christmas Eve here in South Carolina, uh, we, we affectionately call it uh, the hike from hell. Uh, it has a ring to it. And um, we, we, my oldest daughter sort of sets the agenda. This is where we're going to go. And so she came up with a hike and it was going to be, you know, not drill really three or four miles. We were just going to kind of walk a little bit and not, not too big a deal. And uh, so we didn't take very m- much water we didn't take hardly any food, you know, some granola bars and not very many of those, and we set off on what we were thought we thought was going to be three you know, three mile, four mile hike. It wasn't going to be very long. Well, seven and a half hours later, twelve miles later, up and down over the Ridge Trail. Have you ever done the, some of you have done the Ridge Trail? Uh, Satan invented the Ridge Trail. Uh, uh, he walked it first. I'm fairly certain. There's nothing beautiful about it, really. Uh, it's just hard. It's just difficult. It it is just annoyingly difficult. There's no good scenery. You don't pass a waterfall. You kind of go off on one little thing and you see a waterfall. Big deal. I mean, it wasn't worth it. But we'll remember it. You don't want to know why? Because it was difficult. We nearly died. And we did it together. By the way, we I started, I mean, it started to get dark. We're out on the trail and it, it, it's starting to get dark. Now, I've watched a bunch of those shows about, you know, how to survive. I don't want to do it. I want to watch at home eating potato chips. Uh, I really don't want to go do that. And I, I'm thinking to myself, what are we going to do if it gets dark? Because we, we were really not prepared. And God was gracious to us and we got out right before the Rangers came to look at us, look for us. But truth of the matter is, we shouldn't confuse happy circumstances with a joyful life. Because we look at that today, the girls and I, we talked about it when they were home. We look at that as memorable. We remember, because we were together. And and we laugh about it now, because it was hard. And sometimes you get through difficult things, and you look back on them, and you say, wow, that was a time where I grew. I grew. So all the way through the book of Philippians, especially chapter 2, Paul is, has an agenda, and, he, and let's look at some of the texts. We've already looked at these. We're not going to talk about them much. I just want to remind you. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And so he's talking about in chapter 2, the, the greatest journey you can take in life is to be a person of humility. And then, then he sets up Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset As Christ. He's our ultimate example. And, And then he says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So we work, we have our part and God has his part in our spiritual growth. And he talks about this throughout the book, second chapter of Philippians. And so ultimately the best way to journey, he's saying, through life, is found in these verses. We're called to work out our salvation with humility, without complaint, through God's power, God will empower us to live a humble, non complaining life. Now, interestingly enough, I talked about the complaint part a couple of weeks ago. The complaint sermon is an easy sermon to preach because we all struggle, or at least most of us struggle, with complaining. This is a much different, different in, in it's a deeper topic today because Paul is basically going to say to us, there's joy even in suffering. It's not really one of those at the health and wealth churches they don't preach this message. Because it's not a fun message. To say, hey, there may be you may have to suffer but you can have joy in the suffering. In fact, I think Paul would, would, would more likely say you're going to suffer. There's going to be hardship in your life and in the hardship you have to figure out there's joy even in that if you want to find it. Now, Jesus is an example, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at Jesus and I I, I say to myself, I can't do that. And Paul is good in the second chapter of Philippians to say, hey, there are a couple of more examples. By the way, we're not going to get to chapter 3. I I work way ahead. We're four weeks from that, so never mind what I said earlier on. Can we edit that out of the tape? I mean, really, it's bad. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about a a guy named Timothy. Uh, The week after that, we're going to talk about a guy named Epaphroditus. But today, we're talking about Paul and he sort of sets himself up as an example, and we have to have people. We have role models. We need role models. Now, let me tell you this story about this guy right here. His name is uh, Sir Edmund Hillary. Hillary was the first guy to. Um, he and his uh, Serpa um, Tenzin Norgay were the first people to summit Mount Everest. Think about that. In nineteen, I think it was fifty three, fifty three. He and, and Norgay, they, they summit Mount Everest, the highest mountain, first people that have ever had, had ever done it. I mean, it caused great notoriety for Sir Edmund Hillary. He, um, he was uh, knighted in 1985. Um, he was made the highest commissioner in New Zealand, India, Nepal, and Bangladesh. He was commissioned to the Order of the Gator. It has nothing to do with Florida. Uh, Order of the Gator is membership of which is limited to 24 individuals, and it's some big deal in England. I mean, it's a big, big deal. And, and he, was, he was that. He was commissioned to be an Order of the Gator. And yet, he maintained this humility. Now, there's this story about Sir Edmund Hillary. He uh, often went back to uh, the Himalayas, and one time he was there, and, and some tourists noticed him and noted who he was. And they ask him, How would, you, would, would you allow us to take a picture with you? Would you be in our picture? And he was very gracious and he said yes. And they handed him an ice pick and they said, would you hold this? And, and so they're kind of posing for the picture. <laughs> Get this. This other tourist walks by. He doesn't know who Sir Edmund Hillary is. First guy to, 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 to summit Mount Everest. And he says to Sir Edmund Hillary, let me quote it. Excuse me, that's not how you hold an ice pick. Let me show you. Now, (laughs) this cat is so gracious. What would you have said? I thought of some things I would have said. Things like, I think I know how to hold an ice pick. I summited Mount Everest, you pipsqueak. I mean, something like that. Or, I've slid down more mountains than you've climbed. I mean, something to that effect. Or, I can tell you where you can stick that uh, ice pick. Uh, something to the, of that nature. The, Sir Edmund Hillary. I mean, he says, I would appreciate the help. The guy comes and <laughs> changes how he held it. And Sir Edmund Hillary thanked him, and then they took the picture. Now, <laughs> th- this, is, this is someone who is incredibly accomplished, who also is modeling humility. And, and we need models. Um, this is what I used to do with my kids. Hey, this is how you shoot a basketball, or this is how you hold the bat. Last night, Elise and I were playing frisbee, and, and she wanted to learn how to throw it this way. And so we were, we were kind of, I, I would hold her hand, and we would flick it so we were learning how to, to throw the frisbee. We need people who have done it before. And in this particular text, Paul is saying, He's basically saying, look at how I do it. And this will help you know how you should do it. Watch how I do it, and then you'll know how you should do it. And he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ Jesus that I did not labor or run in vain. Paul's work... He's basically got a dual motivation. Let's talk about it just for a second. First, he served out of love. In fact, he says, Christ's love compels me. But in this particular verse, he also says, so I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He has this healthy fear that he might be wasting his life if they don't understand how to conquer complaining how to live in humility how to sacrifice and still have joy i'm afraid he's saying that i might labor in vain and i don't want that to happen so watch how i do it so you can see how it's done i heard about one guy and his efforts to woo a young lady were going um, unrealized he's he's trying She's not buying it. He's trying, she's not buying. That rhymes. That's good. All right, so he develops a new strategy. right? He decides what he's going to do is he's going to send this young lady a gift every day for a month. He's going to woo her with gifts. Now, normally, for normal people, that would be flowers or candy, but this was a girl from Kentucky. So he sends her a can of Skull one day, right? And then Pickles Pig's Feet, you know, and then one of those hats that has the, you can put the Coke in the sides and, and has the straw, right? That kind of stuff. Every day he sends her another gift. And because she's from Kentucky, it's those kind of redneck gifts. All right. And it worked. She was wooed. She fell in love with the guy that delivered the packages. That's the problem. So Paul is saying, hey, I don't want you to, to miss. I don't, want to be, uh, I don't want my labor to be in vain. So the positive side, hey, I'm motivated by love, but I also want you to to follow Christ so I can boast. And so this is what he says about himself. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. We're going to explain that in just a second. So if you don't know what it means, I'll tell you. Even, and it really should be translated since. Since I am to be poured out or am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also, also should be glad and rejoice with me. We can rejoice together. Now, the, the language would have really spoken to the first century audience. The language of sacrifice. We don't have that. So let, let's talk about it just a little bit. In the Old Testament, in, in Jewish life and even in non-Jewish life, People offered animal sacrifices as a gift to God, as an appeasement to, God, to their gods. Depends on, on how you look at it. But they would take animals. In Jewish life, it was animals that were unblemished. So it might be a sheep, it might be a ram, it might be a goat, it might be a, an ox, it could be a, a cow, a cattle. Um, it could be something like that, a bull. And these unblemished animals were offered on an altar. The altar would look something like this, and they would prepare a fire, and then they would lay the pieces of the animal on the fire, and it would be consumed. This is why I know that God appreciates barbecue, uh, because even God liked the sacrifice of cooked meat. So, um, I mean, you can argue with me. If you're a vegan, you can argue I've got the altar. Uh, So, I mean, I've I've got real evidence here. So, um, they would offer these animals and they would burn. Now, then it talks about, in this text, the drink offering. What was the drink offering? Okay. The drink offering was something a person would take sort of at the end of the sacrifice. And typically it was wine. They would take wine and they would pour it on top of the meat that was already burning and it would vaporize. And it was, there was symbolism to this. That There was an offering, and then there was an offering on top of the offering. This was like the bonus offering. The, the, the drink offering was poured on top, and it would vaporize. And the symbolism was, my prayers are going up to God. This was the symbolism. And when you offered a drink offering, a couple of things you needed to understand. You didn't offer God the kind of wine that you get with a screw-top cap, okay? It had to be cork. It had to be the good stuff, right? It had to be the good stuff. No uh, no, no ripple. It couldn't be ripple. It couldn't be the bad stuff. It had to be the good stuff. In fact, the Hebrew language basically says old wine. Well, everybody knows old wine is the kind that's the best, right? The, 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 the more age, the... The, the greater it is, I don't know anything about wine, but that's what I hear. All right, same thing with cheese. Who cares? Uh, so uh, um, it, it was old and it was good. And you offer the, the symbolism is I'm offering God something that's worth something to me. I'm giving him my best gift. I'm doing the best I can. The second thing is it was in conjunction with another offering. I pour it on top of the offering that has already been offered. So, you would take your animal to a priest, somebody like me. And the priest would butcher the animal, kill the animal, butcher the animal, and place it on the altar. And, but, but you're the one who would offer the drink offering. You would, you would humbly approach the altar with your jug of wine. Sometimes they offered honey. It was interesting. There's different things, but mostly it was wine. And, and uh, they would pour it on top of this already smoldering offering. And it was done in conjunction with something else. And basically, the drink offering was, was sort of the... Uh, if you have a, a, an ice cream sundae, what do you need to finish it off? You need whipped cream and a cherry on top, right? Well, the drink offering was the whipped cream and the cherry on top. It was how you finished off a great offering. And, and it was done... In conjunction with somebody with the rest of my offering. Okay? That's what he's talking about here. So, since I'm being poured out like a drink offering, Paul is saying, get this, he's saying that his offering of his life was kind of on top of their offering. I'm the whip topping on your sacrificial lives, which is kind of amazing to me. Because what he is saying is your offering is better than mine. This is Paul, remember? Like greatest Christian who ever walked the planet, he's saying your offering is better. I am just the whipped cream. Uh you know, you're the cornflakes, I'm the milk. I, I'm just I'm sub, I'm subservient to to m- my offering is less than yours. Yours is more than mine. It is greater. Now why would he say that? Because it's hard for us to believe that Paul would be second to anybody about anything. Well, the big idea is real joy is found in willingly giving your life for God's purpose. And so he's he's willingly I'm I'm giving you this I'm giving God my life, my very life so that the gospel may be spread even if I'm being poured out, since I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, which is better, yours is first, mine's subservient, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. It is a joy to give our lives in sacrifice for Christ, and yours is better. And the reason he would say that, they were suffering. L- look at a couple of verses. Back in chapter 1, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. If you have to be warned not to be intimidated by your enemies, what's probably happening? You probably have enemies, right? And then he says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. So they had enemies, they were suffering for Christ. And then he said, "Uh, we are in this struggle together, You've seen my struggle in the past. You know that I'm still in the midst of it. We're struggling. This is tough. This is difficult. We're walking a path that's extremely difficult to walk. Being a Christian in a society where there were very few Christians, it was difficult. You understand, don't you, that becoming a Christian often meant you were blacklisted from businesses, and so they wouldn't trade with you anymore anymore. I mean, your livelihood could be at stake. Uh, Sometimes, if you became a Christian in a family that didn't approve of Christianity, you were set aside to go fend for yourself. I mean, you could lose your family. You could lose your business following Christ. It was something quite difficult. So they were suffering. They were also sacrificing. In chapter 4, he says, I have all that I need. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me. They took up an offering and sent it to Paul. They took collection and gave it to Paul. Um, It's because generosity often goes with sacrifice. And the third reason I think this is kind of cool is Paul's humility. Think of others as better than yourselves. He was showing us what it looks like. Hey, that offering of yours, that's top notch, man. I'm just, you know, the I'm just the whipped cream on top of it. Here's the here's the, the rule of, of thumb. The hallmark of Christianity is sacrificial generosity. It, when I don't feel well, the first thing that Miriam does after she says "suck it up, you big baby" is um, we take my temperature. Um, even when I don't feel good, I'll say, honey, will you check? Because you know, I'm hoping for some sympathy, really, honestly. Um, and so we'll get out the little thermometer thing. You stick it on your head, forehead, right? And then, then you shoot. And I never know if that's a gun or not. But anyway, uh, uh, there it is. And, and they take my te- she takes my temperature. Now, if I have a temp, oh, it's going down, man. I'm playing that sucker like nobody's business, right? If I, it's, what's it supposed to be, 98.6? If it's 98.7, I am acting like I am dead. I, I mean, I'm I'm getting under blankets, I'm drinking sweet tea out of a straw, I'm laying down and it's one of those bendy straws. I'm not even lifting my head. I mean, I am playing this thing like it's a big deal. Now, if one has a temperature, that's an indicator, right? There's an indicator that something's not right. When you have a child and, and they come in and they have a temperature of 100, you, you sort of get worried a little bit. They have 101, well, that's more worrisome. If your child has a temperature of 103, you, you get into panic mode. You start taking them to the urgent care because it's an indicator something's wrong inside. If I'm hot on the outside, something's wrong on the inside. If I'm not generous on the outside, there's something wrong on the inside. It's an indicator. I mean, look, Christ gave everything for us. Everything. It's all His. It's all on loan. Every talent, every gift, everything I've ever been given is on loan. I should be generous with what God gives me. And it's not just financial resources. I can be generous with with my time. With my patience. Man, who has an abundance of patience? We should be generous with that. With words of encouragement. Look, I got coupons today for Long John Silvers. Can I get a witness? I I mean, uh, uh, God is good. Uh, It's good stuff. I, I got coupons. You know what I love about Long John Silvers? They have that little bell. When you go out the door, have you been there? You should go there just for the bell. You walk out the door, and what are you supposed to do with the bell? Anybody has been there, what are you supposed to do? Ring the bell. Why do you ring the bell? Because it was good. That's right. It was good. If you ring it a long time, it was real good. You hardly ever hear that. But anyway, uh, uh, you ring the bell. It's, a, it's, a, it's an encouragement. We're to be generous with all these things, with encouragement, with our time, Sometimes the best thing you can do is give somebody your time. Some people just need to talk. Just give them your time. Some folks just want to have an opportunity to share. Give them your time. So, when I say sacrificial generosity, if you've got something else to do, if you've got someplace else to be, and you give somebody your time, you have exhibited sacrificial generosity. If... You go to LJS and you're not overwhelmed with the high quality of food. You, you might not find it wonderful. You can still ring the bell. Ring the bell. It's okay. And there are people who may not deserve encouragement that need encouragement. Have you ever been to a place that somebody, you, they're not very good. Maybe they're not very good because they've never been encouraged. So become an encourager. Find ways to generously, sacrificially encourage others. Because it's a hallmark of Christianity. So if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice because we're in this thing together. Your offering and my offering, they go together together. And what he's saying is his joy was in the sacrifice. His joy was in the offering because he lived for that. Remember what he said? For me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. His joy was in the sacrifice. He he just, he enjoyed serving people. And Paul knew this, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the joy. Parents, when you make a sacrifice for your kids and your kids enjoy something, what does that do for you? You'll make a sacrifice so they can have more than you had. You know there's joy in that. You understand this. Intuitively, you, own, you know it. You felt it. Let, let me close with a story. This is a painting of Adoniram and Ann Judson. They um, were missionaries to Burma which is now known as Myanmar. No Christian influence at all. This was in uh, the, the early 1800s. Um, Judson was 24, Anne was 23. They were both well-educated, but they were going to take a ship because that's what you did back then. And they were going to go to Burma, and they were going to be a witness for Christ in a, in a society that had no witness for Christ. Nobody had ever been there as a witness for Christ. Now... As a dad, I want all dads to listen to this. Because Judson writes his future, perhaps, father-in-law to ask for Anne's hand in marriage. This is what he writes. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. He's not very good at this. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his eternal home and died for her and for you and for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of heaven and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness? (laughs) Well, as a dad, it wouldn't take me long to write back, no, But Ann Judson's father was a godlier man than me. And he said, it's Ann's choice. Let me read a letter from her that she writes to one of her friends, a little shorter. I feel willing and expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and to go where God in His providence shall shall see fit to place me. Oh, my word. It isn't as if they went not knowing what they were getting themselves into. I mean... It's not as if they got there and it was bad. It was bad, they knew it, and they went there anyway. It is an amazing thing. They go there in 1813. In 11 years, they have no converts. Judson works on writing the Bible, the Scripture, in that particular Burmese language. He's been working on it, he works on it. In 1824... He's put into prison for 18 months. Every night, they wrap a rope around his feet. They hoist him to the ceiling with only his shoulders and his head resting on the ground. He is fed rotting food. Mosquitoes just eat him up. His wife is pregnant and lives two miles away, and every day she'll walk to town and plead for his release. Every day for 18 months. While he's in prison, their daughter Maria is born. Ann Judson is so emaciated from lack of food that her milk dries up. She can't even feed her own child. The jailer is gracious and merciful enough to let Judson out of jail to go in the evenings into the square to plead with women to feed his baby. That baby eventually dies. Two years later, Ann died of spotted fever. However, Adoniram Judson was able to translate the entire Bible into Burmese. It's still the translation they use today, 200 years later. There are today 3,700 churches in that culture. Every one of them, every one, attributes its foundation to Adoniram And Ann Judson. This is what he said. There's no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone has suffered before you. And if you sacrifice without success, it's because someone will succeed after you. Oh my word. Oh my word. Paul writes about this. In spite of all our troubles, I am overflowing with joy. I mean, we live in a world where we are (laughs) um, pain-averse. We try to avoid it at all costs. So the question we should be asking ourselves is, what have I sacrificed in the service for Christ? What have I given up? What am I I doing for the sake of Christ Christ? That I would even consider, even in some small measure, a sacrifice. See, Paul put it this way. This was like a life verse. I want you to know him. I want to have, I want to know him. I I want to have the same power in my life that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to experience resurrection power. I want to be... Uh, I want to understand and to have a share in his suffering and be like Christ in his death. We, we hardly ever use language like this. I want to share in his suffering? We don't want any suffering. We don't want any sacrifice. And yet the Bible calls us to these things. It's a pretty somber message today, isn't it? I mean, I'm hoping you all come back next week. I mean, it's really one of those messages. That one of the things you do when you work through a text is you hit topics that maybe you wouldn't normally hit. This isn't one I gravitate toward. Hey, everybody, let's suffer for Christ. And yet, there it is. It's pretty plain. It's quite a challenge. I I gladly follow Jesus because He forgives my sins. And I gladly follow Jesus because He offers me eternity. And He offers me purpose. The challenge is to gladly follow Jesus even when it means I'm going to suffer and there's going to be sacrifice. That's the challenge. Father, we thank You for the challenge that is before us. And it is quite a challenge and we pray that we might be emboldened and encouraged and empowered to live the kind of life you've called us to live. We thank you for the example of Paul. We thank you that Jesus set a great example for us, that we have models, role models to follow. And We thank you for this reign, which seems to be never ceasing Today, it reminds us of your love that's never ceasing and your patience that never ceases. And we pray that we might live a life of sacrifice for your sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.